Father, is He worthy this morning? Come on. Hallelujah. Those of you joining us online, come on, let's bless the Lord together. Hallelujah. 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 Glory, 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 glory. Glory. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, join me in the book of Psalms, 137th Psalm. Hallelujah. Good to see all of you in the house of the Lord today. Thankful for all of you that are joining us online. We greet you in the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Excited for what God is doing. Amen. In our midst. Hallelujah. Psalm 137. If you got it, say amen. Amen. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hang our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there, they that carried us away captive, required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing in the Lord's, sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee, as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. What a way to end that psalm. You'll find out why in just a moment though. I'm going to preach, teach, treach a little bit this morning on this subject. Don't lose your song. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, you are the living word. And I ask now that you make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Speak both your logos and your rima through me to your people. Open our understanding that we might comprehend the scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, by the name of Jesus. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we pray it and ask it and believe it and expect it in the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe it, would you say amen? God bless you, you may be seated. <clears throat> Judah had practiced idolatry to the point that God used the physical descriptions of adultery to explain the intensity of their sin against Him. In 2 Kings 9.22, and I didn't give you all of these brothers, so don't worry about it if I just refer to them. But in 2 Kings 9.22 mentions the whoredoms and the witchcrafts, plural, of Jezebel. In 2 Chronicles 21.13, it explains that the inhabitants of Jerusalem hoard after idols and refers to the whoredoms, again plural, of the house of Ahab. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Nahum, among many others, speak to the ongoing practice of idolatry against Almighty God and likened it unto the unfaithfulness of a wife to her husband. And yet, in the mercy of God, 
God tells the prophet Hosea to go and to take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and buy her back after she went back into prostitution in order to express to Israel how much he had been merciful to them time and again. And even with that visual representation, they still would not repent. So God allowed the Assyrians to capture the northern kingdom of Israel. And he allowed the Babylonians to capture the southern kingdom of Judah. And still yet, God was merciful to spare a remnant. He would not let those foreign powers utterly destroy the Israelites or Judah. And instead, through Jeremiah and other prophets prophesied their return and the demise of their enemies once they had returned to the homeland. I mean, if you can't see the mercy of God and all that, I don't know where you're going to find it. And so the question becomes, why did they lose their song? It's pretty simple. Because of their sin. And so God has burdened me to preach today. Don't lose your song. Psalm 137 can be subdivided into three different parts, marked by each one of them a call to remember or to not forget. In its nine verses, a call to remember is used four times. It's very probable that a Levite wrote this psalm after returning to Jerusalem. He no doubt recalled the events of what had happened with a group of other remnant Jews Because the grammar he uses in the first four verses are plural, us and we, and are in the past tense indicating that they're no longer in Babylon. History does record that Babylon was indeed destroyed just like the psalmist prophesied here. And that God's people returned to their homeland. But as we read this ancient song of Zion, what can we learn? How can we apply the principles that they learned to our modern day? How can we prevent the loss of our song, or if I can say it this way, our joy in living for God? And if we do find ourselves in a situation brought on by our sin, what is the remedy? And how can we then receive God's grace and mercy? Well, those are all great questions, and I'm glad every one of you asked them. I'm going to answer them now. Here we go. The first is we've got to have a spirit of lament. Can I tell you that I I fear sometimes in in Pentecostal circles our lamenting is just a two or three minute thing because we're worried about are we going to get in line quick enough at the restaurant? And so it's it's a few crocodile tears. I'm sorry, Jesus. I don't know what I'm going to eat today, but I'm really sorry. We need to lament sometimes I don't mean to lament to the point that we, we feel shame. That's, that's of the devil. That's condemnation. But, but letting conviction deal with our hearts to say, I don't want to go back into that because it's the dog that returns to its vomit. I don't want to be like that. And so lamenting. And you can see that in the first four verses of this psalm. There's a lament. Of course they couldn't sing. And and yes, it was because of their sin. But it was also because of the taunts. How can you sing something joyful? How can you play the harp and, and sing something joyful when you've sinned and now you're a slave? 
And so they're, they're being taunted. And, and so they're lamenting. And so as the psalmist is recalling this, he's remembering, oh God, don't ever let us get back to that place. We lament what we have done. And again, they lost their song due to their sin. But you know what's, what really bothers me? What gets up into you know, the inside of my spirit and just causes me to feel angry? There were a whole lot of songs going on while they were sinning. Oh, you want proof? Okay. Isaiah 5, verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink and continue until night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabret, the pipe, and the wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Wow. Ouch. Almighty God had become just one of many other false gods that Judah would worship. They had relegated the one true God, the creator of the universe. They knew, Listen, if you understand Jewish culture, this was passed down to them by parents. They knew this God. All he had to do was say, let there be, and there was. They knew this God had punished the, the wickedness of the world but saved Noah and his family. They knew this God had confounded the language at Babel. They knew this God had held the sun back for Joshua. They knew these stories and yet they they knew being taken out of Egypt and the one true God coming up against all the false gods of Egypt and defeating them and yet knowing this they relegate that one true God to nothing more than a tangible idol like my bottle of water putting on the same level of all these other gods unwilling to heed the lessons of their past or to heed the warnings of the prophets that God would send time and again by the way in Isaiah 5 here Jesus also quotes from this when he tells a parable of the vineyard that's where it comes from and the parable he talks about is that how that the, the Lord of the, the vineyard sends uh, some people and they beat them and stone them and kill some. And then he sends his son and they kill him. You know what that's prophesying about? Jesus. Prophet after prophet after prophet would come and they would kill him and stone him and behead him and, and cut him in half and, 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 and just you know, annihilate them and, and, and push them away. And then Jesus Christ came, God manifest in flesh, and they killed him too. That's what that parable is about. You know, isn't it also sad? Uh, can you put verse 12 back up, Isaiah 5, 12? The harp and the vial, the tabret, pipe, and the wine are where? In their feasts. Leviticus tells us it was the feast of the Lord. Why did it become their feasts? And by the time Jesus comes, the Bible records it was now just the feast of the Jews. Oh, you ready for this? It's the spirit of Laodicea. That's what it is. It's the only church Jesus wasn't in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
It's the only church he wasn't inside of. Because when it becomes your feast, when it becomes the feast of the Jews and not the feast of the Lord, God's like, okay, I'm out. You can still call it church if you want to, but I'm out. Listen, if the Spirit of God leaves, I'm following him. I ain't staying. I love all of you. I ain't staying. You know what I'm saying, folks? Listen, if the Spirit of God moves over here, guess what I'm doing? I'm moving over here. If the Spirit of God moves over here, I'm moving. If the Spirit of God stops right here, I'm stopping right here. I want the Spirit of God. We are a Spirit-filled church where everyone can be transformed by the hope and healing promise through Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is the head of this church. Amen. I don't say this to dog on the organization that I'm ordained with, but it's not about an organization. It's not about a denomination. Listen, there's a big alphabet soup of oneness apostolic organizations, you know, out there. <laughs> Please, I'm not trying to dog and be rude or crude, but uh, right here, yes. Christ is the head of the church. Amen. I do thank God for the opportunities that have been afforded uh, to me. And I thank God that, that you know, there's, there's growth and, and all of that going on. But listen. If there ever comes a day that the organization goes left, away from God, see ya. I'm going right with God. Amen. Their feasts. You know, if a couple were to come into my study and there's been a single act of indiscretion in their marriage, it is very likely, very highly probable that with the help of God, their loving pastor's wisdom, and even possibly the help of a God-fearing therapist, they're going to be reconciled. They're going to be okay. It's just one time. And I know this because I've dealt with that. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's a long journey back to rebuild that trust. But it's possible. But if a couple comes in, and, and, and I'll use the wife, and so ladies, I'm not picking on ladies, but because of the fact that, you know, the church is a, in the feminine gender. If she has had multiple partners multiple times and doesn't care, and there is no love loss, and big deal, you know, if I stay married, I'm going to do it. If I get divorced, I'm going to do it. Well, the chances of reconciliation are nil and void. And that's what Israel was doing. It wasn't just one time. It wasn't just the golden calf and, oh, we made a mistake. We're sorry, Jesus. We'll never do it again. It was the golden calf. And then it was Baal. And then it was Ashtaroth. And then it was Molech. And on and on and on and on the list went. Time and again. So no wonder God uses the physical terminology, whoredom, prostitution, harlot, to indicate the hurt that God felt over that. It wasn't just a single act of indiscretion. It was multiple times with multiple false gods. And, and let me just say this. There's a spirit in this world today that wants to prostitute the church. 
that wants to go after the, the, the fancy, the, the, you know, the fun, the, the one-night stand kind of concept. But not in this church. Not as long as I've got breath in these lungs. Amen. I want the pure. I want the truth. I want God. Amen. Well, praise God. By the way, do you know what happens when we treat God with such contempt, make it our feasts, disregard him? It, it said in verse 13, we go into captivity, but put up Isaiah 5, 14. Look what else it says. Anytime you see therefore in scripture, you find out why it's there for. And in grammar, if it's there for, you know it's implying what he just said. So because of everything I just said, therefore, so because it became their feast, because they practiced this gross idolatry, therefore, what happens? Hell has enlarged herself. You want to make hell bigger? Keep on sinning. Well, I know this ain't a swing from the chandelier message. Brother Luke's going to preach that in the second half, okay? I'm, I'm hitting the sacrifice fly. He's going to hit the grand slam, but we're both going to score today, okay? <laughs> Amen. But, yeah, no pressure, right? No pressure, Luke, man. I'm loading the bases, buddy. You better hit a grand slam. <laughs> you watch. He's going to say, the spirit don't want me to preach. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But hell enlarges herself, opens herself without measure. I don't want that to happen. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm careful to not preach this in a spirit of condemnation today, but rather in a spirit of God's loving conviction. You see, although those words are similar, you know, condemnation, conviction, they kind of start and end the same, con, shun, you know, but the, the difference is condemnation would say, hey, there's a fire, I hope you burn. Conviction would say, there's a fire, there's an exit door, there's an exit door, there's an exit door, let's all get out real quick. That's the difference. Okay? So don't get to a place where you lose, lose your song because of unrepentant sin. Make the decision today that you will worship God alone. You see, for us, it's not Baal and Molech and Ashtaroth. You know what it is? It's careers. It's money. It's... We even use family. Well, it's family time. You know, I, I get to spend time with my family. We need to be careful not to have idols that come before God. It, it, it baffles me that we can, we can watch an hour and a half, two hour movie and stay enthralled for the whole thing, but get past five verses of Bible reading. It ba I'm going to turn around. It baffles me. By the way, Luke, this is my whole big you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, yeah, that. Thank you, soapbox. The whole thing is a soapbox. I'm going to stand over here for a minute. It baffles me that we can pray for the game to go into overtime, but barely pray five or ten minutes. So here's what we need to do. 
If we've lost our song or feel like we're on the verge, let's identify the lies of the enemy. Let's replace them with the truth of God's word. And let's make a bold declaration that he's going to be the only one that we serve. Watch this. In the third temptation of Christ, watch what happens. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. Watch, here it is. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. You will worship whom you serve, and serve whom you worship. Ah, I got to move on. I only got a few more minutes here. Hallelujah. The next thing is our repentance, verses 5 and 6. Even though repentance is not explicitly listed here in these two verses, we know that it occurred based on what was said. He is so hungry for God. He goes, man, God, uh, let my right hand forget her cunning. Let me forget my skill to play or use the sword. It could be used either way. Uh, Lord, if, if, if I don't remember Jerusalem, if I don't remember you, let the tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. In other words, I would rather die than to ever get back to that place where I sinned. That's what he's saying here. You can sense the repentance that has happened. You can sense what has gone on in his life. And possibly the remnant that is with him. And this brings up a good point because it was Elijah who felt like he was the only one who was serving the Lord. I don't have time to read it all, but in 1 Kings 19, if you'll put up verse 18, the Lord says to him, he says, wait a minute, Elijah, you're, or, uh, uh, you're not the only one. Watch what he says here. I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. In other words... Keep on preaching, Elijah. There is a remnant that is not giving up. Amen? Praise God. And I believe this psalmist was a part of that remnant. In fact, I don't believe this psalmist had himself committed some of these sins. Being a Levite, it's very probable that he was like, no, you got to quit serving Baal. you got to quit taking sacrifices to Molech. you got to quit doing this. God, Jehovah, Yahweh is the one true God. I, I, can, I can sense him being that. So when he's captured, there's probably a sense of, Lord, I was serving you. Why am I captured? But he never... Never lets on with that. Instead, when he repents, there seems to be the spirit of Daniel and Nehemiah who repent for their whole nation. We can even look ahead to Jesus who wept over Jerusalem in a sense of repenting of, oh, Jerusalem, I would have taken you in. Not that Jesus, of course, was repenting, but you get the point that, that in other words, here's what it means. Even if you're here today, you're like, hey, that's a good message, and, 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 and I'm really not losing my song, but thank you, Brother Powell. I'll, I'll keep that in check, and I'll make sure I never fail. You know what? Do this. If that's the case, you can still pray for others. Okay? You can pray for your city. You can pray for your state. You can pray for your nation. You can pray for the world, and you can repent. You see, a lot of people are saying, this is a God-forsaken world. No, it ain't. It's a world that's forsaken God, but God ain't forsaken the world yet. And if there's still time for somebody to pray through, you better believe I'm going to pray for them. 552 names were prayed for here Wednesday night. 43 different families, upwards of about 1,000 people were prayed for. You better believe I'm going to keep praying for people. Amen. Praise God. There will come a day when God's grace and mercy will end. And his righteous wrath will be poured out. So until then, let us pray that and hope for that which Daniel prophesied, that many shall be purified.
and made white. It's Daniel 12, 9. That's what I'm praying for. God, let there be many purified. Let there be many made white before that great and terrible day. And that leads us to the third thing, which is God's judgment. This psalm ends with what is called imprecatory verses. It's, the whole psalm is not imprecatory, but these final three verses are. Uh, and and if, if you need a reminder, those imprecatory psalms are the ones that call for the judgment of God upon one's enemies. It's hard for us in the New Testament, when we're told to love our enemies and pray for them and all this, to apply those to a modern-day principle. You know, it'd be nice to live in the Old Testament and say, God, kill them! Yeah! Go get them, Jesus, you know? But we're in the New Testament over here, and, and you know, Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for them, bless them. Wish I was in the Old Testament, man. Okay? Right? Come on, we've all been there, haven't we? You know? Oh, bless them with a, you know, bunch of you know, fire ants, Lord. Whew, hallelujah. You know, that's, we want to bless them, right? You know? Well, that ain't, that ain't blessing them. That's wrong. So how do we apply these imprecatory psalms? How do we apply these verses? Well, we realize that they point to the day when there will be gross judgment upon those who have sinned. Now, you've heard me say it many times from this pulpit. I don't want my worst enemy to go to hell and be cast into the lake of fire. Amen? So God, before that great and terrible day comes, when your wrath is poured out, let them find forgiveness. Let them find repentance. Let them find the same hope that I've found. I've left my sin at an altar. I've buried it in the waters of baptism in your name. I've come up resurrected, speaking in other tongues. Let them find the same hope. That's how we pray these psalms. But what the psalmist is praying here, and again, ending it very, almost rude. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. What? You want to kill infants and babies? Well, what he's saying here is, if you read verse 7, go back to verse 7. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. Then look at verse 8. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed. What this tells us historically is the psalmist is no longer in Babylon. He's been free, but God has not yet judged Babylon. And so the psalmist speaks prophetically. Babylon, you're going to be judged for what you did. And they were. And what he is saying here is God's going to judge you to the point that there are no heirs left. What you would have wanted to do to God's people, God's going to do to you. That's what it's saying here. And that's the gravity of the coming judgment. And it should be sobering. And it should cause us to pause and think and reflect. And if we are playing games with God, to stop. Because eternity is at stake. Most born-again born believers I know do their best to live above reproach. But the fallibility of humanity is often overwhelming. Everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
The Bible is true, and if someone says they haven't, they're a liar. But thankfully, thankfully, Jesus Christ is our advocate when we have sinned, that we can go to him. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, of course, we do not sin that grace abounds. But if or when we do, we need to remember that we can boldly approach the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. You see, it's, it's best to deal with sin right now because God's grace is readily available. But when the trumpet sounds, and Christ redeems His church, all hope of repentance will cease. You can get your song back if you've lost it. You can lament, you can repent, and you can recognize that you can avoid the coming judgment of God because He wants to restore and reconcile you. But all you have to do is ask. You see, there's no reason for anyone to be carrying around the weight and, uh, of their sin since Jesus dealt with all iniquity on His cross. So all you got to do is repent. And then you'll start singing joyfully again of His mercy. You can trade your guilt for His glory. Yes. You can exchange your sin for His salvation. You can bring your turmoil to Him and leave with a testimony. All you have to do is repent. You might be in a messed up situation, but God's mercy can turn it into a miracle if you repent. You see, the psalmist David said it like this. The Lord is my strength, Psalm 28, 7, and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song I will praise Him. Something had happened in David's life in this Psalm 28 that caused him to say, if I'll just repent, if I'll get back to God, I'll get my song back. If you'll repent today and you'll allow God to transform you and to renew you, you'll be able to say like the psalmist did in Psalm 40 verse 3, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praises unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust the Lord. Hallelujah. Psalm 42a, go ahead and put that up real quick here. This is a psalm written... Uh, by the sons of Korah. Now, a lot of, a lot of them, you'll see it says of or for or to, uh, but some say by, and many scholars believe that there were some sons of Korah that, that wrote this. But here's what's interesting about that. Korah, Dathan, and Amiram died in judgment, and their families with them. But somewhere there was a grandson or, or something that was still yet left yet alive that carried on that name. And, and there seems to be a change of heart in those descendants who knew their bad history of their family. Am I talking to somebody today that you can look back and there's some ugly history? Mm -hmm. Can I remind you that you can't change where you came from? <laughs> but you can change where you're going. Can I remind you that if the sons of Korah can make a change from the rebellious, witchcraft-acting ways of their ancestors, that you too can make a change and become something different. And like they said, you can also write and say, the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. Watch this. And in the night, His song shall be with me. One translation indicates that God actually sings the song to you. Oh, my Lord. 
Lord. Not only do you get your song back, but now God starts singing and says, let me give you a lullaby. How many of you remember mama coming in when you were tired or sick or even maybe daddy and singing a song and it would help you calm down and feel better and go to sleep? Well, isn't it something when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, if you'll just repent, I'll sing you a song. I'll come in the night when the enemy wants to discourage you and I'll sing a song to comfort you. The rest of that verse says, uh, and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. Uh, Oh, let me tell you something. There's something about life with God. If you'll just repent, you'll get your song back. God will sing it to you. You'll be able to rejoice again. And he's the God of life, your life. Notice how they say it. The God of my life. They make it personal. Not the God of the church's life. It's the God of your life. Make it personal. God wants to give you a new song. We saw that with Psalm 40 verse 3. I didn't give you these psalms, but in Psalm 144 verse 9 and Psalm 149 verse 1, they both mention singing a new song to the Lord. Well, how can you do that? Because He's done a miracle in your life. Are you willing to exchange sorrow for a new song? You see, here, here's, here's what some of us want. We've prayed this. We've said, Lord, I want to go back. And I understand what we mean. There's a song, Take Me Back to the Old Landmark. I get it. I, I understand that concept. And there's a, there's a sense of, of we need to return sometimes and remember where God's brought us from. But notice it's a new song. God doesn't want to take us back. <laughs> God wants to take us forward. So if you're praying, Lord, take me back, I'm going to ask you to stop doing that today. And instead say, Lord, take me forward. I'm thankful for what you did. I, I, I don't forget it. And, and I remember it. It's memorialized. It's, it's forever there in, in, in my mind and my heart. And thank you for what you did. But, but I know there's a destiny before me. I know if I'll just keep walking forward, you've got something fresh before me. A new song. So God doesn't just want to restore a song. He wants to give you a new one. Hallelujah. Anybody want a new song today? Anybody want God to do a new thing in you today? You know, there's something about a new song that, that many times I've told the praise team, I want this song. And my wife just says, okay, good. And then sends out a text, the bishop wants a song. And Everybody on the praise team goes, because oh, they know the hard work it's going to be to get that song, because Bishop wants it. But isn't that just like God, though? I want to do something new in your life, and it's not always easy. We're wanting to go back because that's easy. See, Elijah did that. He got discouraged. What did he do? He goes back to the mountain of God. What happened to it? Wind, earthquake, fire. The Bible says rent the mountain in pieces. But God wasn't in it. And when God speaks to him, you know, we, we sometimes read that account, you know, still small voice, and we think it's like this. Elijah, how you doing, buddy? Oh, no. It was, hey, Elijah, 
What are you doing here for? Did I, didn't I tell you to go? Read it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making it up. Brother Luke, he was telling him to go anoint Elisha and Jehu and one other. He was saying, I have a destiny for you. You've gone back, but I wanted you to go forward. What are you doing here? You've gone back to what was normal and common and natural, but I've got something new for you. And just like I use the illustration to praise him, if I told him to sing a new song, I'd go, oh, I've got to learn how that chord progression works. I've got to learn how that beat works. And I've got to come in here and not come in there and this part and that part. And it is a lot of work. And praise God, the praise team does a good job practicing it and getting it down. But it's the same with us. God is saying, don't go back to what is normal. Don't go back to what is common. I've got something new. I've got a new anointing. I've got a new dimension. I've got a new place for you to be. A new song. So how many want a new song today? Let's stand to our feet. We've got about three minutes left, four minutes left here. I want us to pray this final few minutes before the break starts and just ask God to lead us where he's taking us into a new song, to lead us into that purpose. God, I don't just want to go back. And God, I'm not dogging on the song, take me back to the old landmark. I'm not, I'm not doing that. But God, I know there's something new. I knew, know there's a new destiny. I know there's a new purpose. I know there's a new anointing awaiting me, a new song awaiting me. So help me to recognize what I've done to lose my song. Help me to recognize oh God and repent and lament and avoid your judgment so that I can walk into the new and fresh anointing. So I can walk into the new song that you have for me. So I can walk into the purpose that you have for me. Oh God convict us today. Let us walk into that new dimension today to obey your spirit and to fulfill your will in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Oh come on let's just take a moment and thank the Lord. Let's take a moment and bless the Lord. Yeah, Jesus, we want to walk in your anointing. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. One more time, just lift your hands all over this place. Online, come on, join me. Let's lift our hands. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the new song that you have for us. The lyrics that we're going to write and sing, Lord. The tempo, the melody. We thank you all that you're going to do. God, we thank you for what the future holds. We look through a glass darkly, but we thank you that you're leading and guiding us every step of the way. Praise God, praise God. I want you to get this in your mind. I, I used this illustration a few weeks ago. Pastor Lucas, come here. Brother Luke, come here real quick. Stand here. Face that way, please. Right there, side by side. I need a, a, um, Jeff, Trevor, come here real quick. You remember this a few weeks ago. When you're walking into the new, I want you to understand what's going to happen. The Bible says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. In other words, he goes before us. The Bible also says that goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. So even, in, even though we're walking in to this new dimension where we may not fully understand it. Grace and truth are paving the way for us. Just kind of walk down there and around the front. And, and while they're leading and I'm following, goodness and mercy are following me. And Oh, there's a step here. Oh, i got to take that step. Okay, I don't understand why I'm in the valley right now. I don't understand, but, but grace and truth are still leading me. And yep, there's, there's goodness and mercy. Okay, I'm going to walk with God into what he's doing. Do you see it? 
I want you to get this in your minds and never let it leave because when you're walking into this, there's nothing to be afraid of because grace and truth are in front of you and goodness and mercy are behind you. God bless you. Come back in nine minutes and seven seconds and counting. Ha, ha, ha.